You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Let's see it, everybody. Trevor Chu here on 3RRR-FM. A very good afternoon to you on... Uh on these days of autumn. Yes, we were saying on the drive-in, because we drove in, you and I, together. Yeah, yeah, you gave me a lift. Little, little team. So, yeah, today can't quite figure out what it's trying to be. Is it trying to be cloudy? Is it trying to be nice? Yeah. What's it trying to do? What's it trying to do? But we did notice that uh, the leaves are changing. and are. Uh, And, you know, the funny thing is I was at the uh, QVB, QVM, Queen Vic Market, <laughs> yes. yesterday. <laughs> QVB's in Sydney. Yeah, stop it. Yeah, QVM's stop, in Melbourne. Stop that, stop that. Um, and I had, um, I had a custard apple. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a sign. Of, and it was so funny that, you know, there it was, this custard apple next mm. to the figs. Yes. You know, and any, anything sort of shows the late summer sort of mm. um, fruit and abundance. It's got to be the feature, the figs. And you know, so I'm doing an Italian accent because there's going to be a celebration of and Italian a little bit later on. They all come on at once. There was um, someone at my work this week that just brought in the world's biggest box of figs. It's like, figs, take figs, the figs, please. Tell me, please please take them away. <laughs> do something with these things. Mm. You don't really preserve figs much, do you? Oh, you can do a fig jam. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, welcome to it. A big thanks to the scientists, as always. Big thanks to the doctors, of course. Yes. Tim Thorpe, of course. The yes. mighty Thorpster. And Radio Marinara back to normal this week after yeah. their big OB last oh, week. Oh, after their muchos drinking of the tequilas and s- <laughs> and the spider crabs coming across the bay, coming across the bay. Congratulations again to them. On today's show, yes. we're going to be speaking with an Italian accent because we've got Massimo Melli. Yes. Massimo Melli is a, a chef from Sydney and we talk about a weird shaped pasta. Mm. So I'm not going to give too much away. Should we? We should. No, no we won't. No, just tune in. Just listen. Yeah, stay listen, listening. Stay. Don't yes. go. Don't go. Um, uh, John Sussman. Um, that's a nice, nice name. You say? Yes. Yeah, nice name. Mm. John Sussman. Sussman. The Susso. Um, he is one of the great advocates of uh, fish and fresh fish eating in this town. Yes. Uh, Melbourne Food and Wine Festival is coming up, ladies and gentlemen. It is drawing to us. It'll be starting at the end of this month. And um, what's he doing? He's doing a, an event uh, called The Taste of the Ocean. We might talk mm-hmm. about that. Um, sounds amazing. Mm. really, really does. Save your shekels for it. Um, but uh, if you can, mm. if you've got your shekels, yes. I'd be going. It's one way to spend them. It's one way to spend them. But also, the fact is, John's also um, co-authored um, a fantastic book. It's sort of like... Think uh, Cook's Companion, mm-hmm. but in regard to fish, Ooh. almost each. Because there's a thing about, we were just talking before, and the fact that we eat four major varieties of fish. And, yes. And he's about maybe making that bigger. Yes, no, a, that's a, a wordy conversation. I see. I tried this once. I had the little app, the sustainable fishing app, where it sells you all the fish that you. Gee, that's a while ago now. It was a while ago now. I went to South Melbourne Market, and mm. none of the sustainable fish were there. Everything in the counter was all just the stuff that you're not supposed to buy. I'm like, oh, really? So that was kind of my attempt. Flathead sustainable, attempt. isn't it? I don't know. I That's there. Up. Calamari sustainable. There must have oh, been yes, some no. calamari there. Yeah, no, calamari, absolutely. But okay. if you just want a, a fillet of fish. Yeah, you, so you didn't go, I will take home a marlin steak a or two. flake or something like that. Or some orange mm. ruffy. Yes. Which might be 60 years old by the time it gets to your plate. Anyway, yes. but um, there is an incredible amount of sustainable fish mm. in this country. The good news is that we have one of the most sustainable mm. um, fishing zones of just about anywhere in the world. Yes. And um, and uh, Suso is going to be uh, 
making the airbag analogy. But again, I don't want to give too much away. Right. You're going to have to stay tuned I'm in. curious. I'm curious I'm too. Yes. I made the statement and I'm curious too. <laughs> uh, and uh, to finish up, we have Adrian from The Hidden Souk. Uh, the Hidden Souk is an operation in Melbourne, mm. mainly web-based, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, who are fanatical. Yes. Fanatical about spice. Yes. And they bring in the very, very best spice from all around the world. Yes. Weird and wonderful. They know the stories. They because do. the stories of spice echo trade and commerce and, and, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, and we are going to be talking about a, a spice that, for some reason, Europe... Rejected, mm-hmm. eschewed, mm-hmm. said we will not have any. Mm-hmm. Apparently they did in the Middle Ages. We'd speak of, how do you say it? I say cumin. I say cumin. No, actually I really? say cumin mostly. Yeah. No, I say mostly cumin. Uh, but that's the uh, that's the spice. It was mm-hmm. a spice that uh, went through Spain, went through Portugal, across the Atlantic. But the Europeans went, there shall be no cumin. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You can't think of many... Anyway, well, we will mm. talk about that. Adrian's coming in. We hope. So we've got a rather interesting show. And you know what? Mm. You're invited to tag along. So yes. why don't you stick around? It's 12.07 here on the mighty 3 Triple RFM broadcasting to you from beautiful downtown East Brunswick. I'd like to talk to Sussman. So, yeah, there's not much else we have to say, is no, there? No, no, we've Do we done have, it. We don't have any saints today? No, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, Patrick. Patrick's going to chase out the, of course. the snakes. Not yet. Not yet. He hasn't no. done it yet. He's said, wait till next week. So what does he do? He chases out the snakes and he gets very drunk. Yeah, yeah I really want to know. <laughs> he just gets What do you mean? I did some work. Stuck into the Guinness. Yeah, stuck into Guinness. Bit of mother's milk after you get rid of all the reptiles. The, the slithery reptiles. Get out, you slithery mm. reptile. Was he from the north or the south, I wonder? I don't know. No, we don't know. No. Anyway, 12.08, we need to move on, I think. Shall we then? Uh, let's just hear from some of our wonderful sponsors and then we'll have a chat to uh, John Sussman. John Sussman. Mm. Mm. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, introducing... Yeah. Yeah. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> The great man singing about another great man, John Sussman. <laughs> oh, Cam. Cam, Cam, Cam. It was Matt's idea. It was. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. He's going, what about, what about a bit of Phil Collins? Yeah. Which just, is not, not yeah. something we often say to each other. No. In fact... Yeah, just my speed. It would sit well with my anthrax collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that double kick pattern, buddy. Nothing like a double kick pattern happening, and uh, and a double kick pattern happening in the water is uh, is kind of a good thing. John, we've spoken to you over the years about um, fish sustainability, what to do with those leather jackets and stuff like that, and um, and you said something to me amazing when we were speaking um, a little bit earlier in the week, and you know you gave me an analogy I've never heard: sustainability and the airbag analogy. Yeah, look, Cam, I, I probably get asked in sort of both my professional and personal life a, a, an opinion about seafood sustainability because yep. it is a fairly, you know, it's, it's quite a topical topic, very, if you very, will. Very much. Um, De jour. But, you know, here in Australia, in, a, in a, the amazing first world country that we live in with, you know, the incredible 12, 14 different agencies that manage the, the commercial fishing and recreational fishing, mm. um, 
I tend to think that you know, sort of the seafood sustainability discussion is a bit like sort of celebrating airbags in a car yes. or discussing the airbags in a car. I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a point of entry. It's law. It, you know, that's really the long and the short of it. Um, hmm. you know, there are, and the whole seafood sustainability discussion is a very local discussion. It can't be based on global generalisations. So I think it's really important to remember that what happens here amongst the 14 different jurisdictions of our commercial fisheries... Around the country, um, yes. ...around the country are very relevant to those 14 jurisdictions. So it's not... It, there's not... Um, you know, there's not a simple sort of discussion about saying, well, we must do this or we mustn't do that. I mean, the, 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 the absolute bottom line is that we've got an act of law that prohibits the unsustainable harvesting of seafood in this country. So mm. I, I use that as a means to sort of move on and start celebrating how amazing seafood is and, you know, the options and varieties and, and, and the enjoyment that we can have from experiencing, you know, sort of hundreds if not thousands of different animals that we, um, that we can enjoy in the seafood world. Because, and, and that's just it, and because we sort of think, and you brought this up again, you, you talk about this notion of the big four, the big four fish that everybody thinks of, and first of all, let's for the discussion, what are the big four? Okay, so here in, here in this country, we have, you know, sort of salmon. Salmon, yeah, that, I wrote that first, yep. Okay, we have a fish called bassa, which is the Mekong Delta catfish. Yep. We have, um, at the higher end of the market, we have snapper and we also have tuna in its various guises be it fresh and canned so like realistically those four fish account for you know well in excess of 60 percent of the of the center of plate white or center center of plates fish that we we eat fill it on on a plate in the middle of the plate type thing yeah yeah so you know in reality um you know perhaps if we want to get you know at, at a grassroots level serious about sustainability maybe we can put that glass bottle of sparkling italian mineral water down for a moment and 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 look at look at one of the other species of seafood we haven't tried in the last 12 months yeah what what are we going to get well i mean as you mentioned before leather jacket leather jacket i mean down there in victoria you've got some fantastic fish out of the out of the uh, east uh, Gippsland area, things like red spot whiting, and of course, you know the gurnards and and um, the, the, wara- the, the wahoos and warahows, and you know there are plenty of other options aside from you know like the ones that we tend to sort of focus on. Mm. And you know, realistically, the the opportunity for for culinary enjoyment is is way better in the seafood world than it is in terrestrial protein. I mean, look, you walk into a butcher shop and you're faced with four animals or five if he carries chooks. Yes. You, know, you walk into a fish shop and there's you know upwards of two or three hundred, yeah. and you know think of the culinary enjoyment that you can get through sort of working your way through those. I'm thinking, and I'm for some reason I just settled on oroketi with uh, with cuttlefish and squid ink. So just awesome. flipped it. Yeah, boom. There you go. There boom. you go. Good good start, Cam. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, positive stroking from John. And, and the other and the other element about the whole you know sort of sustainability discussion is to think you know beyond the perfect you know three inch by three inch centre cut portion and yeah, yeah. start to consider nose to scale eating. Nose um, to scale. Which, yeah, boom tissue. You've you heard it you first. Like. <laughs> Matt's writing it down. Nose to scale. Oh, that's, yeah, that's brilliant. Because, yeah. look, one of the, the greatest things I have ever had is um, 
I think it was at, at Cooney's a long, long, long time ago there in um, in the middle of the city. Great Japanese restaurant was um, eating. Um, it was a fish head, um, a fish yeah. maw. And the meat that comes from that, oh, my Lord, it was just the sweetest, most incredible thing I'd ever had. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's, if you go to a, a Magiura in Japan, which is the restaurant that only sells tuna, mm. um, you know, the most revered elements are, you know, the heart, the eyes, and the cheeks. Yeah, the and, cheeks. You know, oh, my God. P- people will fight over those, literally. So I think that this, you know, this is why... You know, I always try and be careful about the discussion in relation to you know, sort of the one-dimensional discussion that is sustainability currently mm. in relation to, you know, what species we must or mustn't, you know, eat and then think about, well, hang on, what can we enjoy the most? What are the things that we you know, haven't perhaps had a look at? And you mentioned, you know, the swim bladders or, or fish maw. I mean, yes. they are absolutely delicious. Anyone yep. who's been to a to an Asian restaurant and had, you know, sort of stir-fried greens with fish more. I mean, you'd know how absolutely superb that is. And, you know, I was at a restaurant recently where um, they had been dried, but they were actually barramundi air bladders, and they'd been dried, uh, salted, dried, and then deep-fried. And they were seriously the absolute killer beer snack you could ever wish for. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I think it's just made my mouth water. Just, uh, yeah, just thinking about that. God, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely, absolutely. So, and of course, you know, we know how how health preserving fish livers are. I mean, you know, they, you know, you only need to really sort of soak those in a brine for, you know, sort of an hour, mm. forty five minutes to an hour to remove some of the bloody bitterness, as you would with any other liver, pan fried and on a bed of bitter greens. I mean, that's stunning stuff, you know. Yeah. And, and most of most of that is going in the bin, regrettably. No, and I'm Oh, and you know, there's this whole thing we've. The great thing about living in this country is just seeing, or for me anyway, my uh, living in this is just seeing how food has evolved. And one thing that I have seen recently, of of late, um, is the fact that now fish skin is a thing that is revered when you cook it and crisp it, and it's it's fantastic. Well, I mean, anyone that eats fish without the skin on, or the majority of fish, I should say, without the skin on, is, is missing out big time because, of course, that layer just under the skin is where the, 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 the most amount of fat is. Yeah. And, you know, in, in every other protein, we seem to celebrate that, be it yeah. you know, sort of chicken skin or pork crackling pork or whatever. Crackling. But we often forget just how absolutely delicious fish skin is. Yes. And, of course, it's incredibly nutritious and, you know, sort of all of those sort of benefits as well. So I'm just going to get back to this um, uh, paraphrasing Fergus Henderson, uh, nose to scale eating. I think that is just absolutely magnificent. You will be doing um, an event which I'm going to love to get to uh, in a sec, which is going to be happening part of Melbourne Food and Wine Festival Wednesday, the 5th of April. Put that in your diary now. But yes. I've got to... Um, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna throw a big bouquet to you. It's coming from from the south to the north <laughs> over the Great Dividing Range. Here it comes. Catch the bouquet, John, because um, there is a book that is out, and it's the um, uh, your fish and seafood cookbook, an Australian mm. guide. Where is where I wrote down the actual fish and seafood? The Australian, uh, the Australian fish, fish and, and seafood cookbook. cookbook. Yep. Um, yep. You and a few co-authors. I seriously need to recommend this to people. This is the best book on Australian fish or fish around the world that I have seen. Thanks, Cam. I mean, look, it was 
It was a fairly significant labour of, of love. How long um, has it taken from Genesis oh, to having a copy in your hand? Over three years. Yeah, well, it, much, it shows. Much to the publisher's, you know, dismay. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was... Look, a really good mate of mine who I rate as probably one, with total respect to Michael Bacash and some of his peers in, down there in the Monaco of the South. Yes. Steve Hodges, I rate as one of the best fish cooks in the country. And he's a Sydney-based guy. For those of you that have been up this way, might yep. have remembered him from Fish Face or, yes. or indeed prior to that, the iconic pier restaurant in Rose Bay. Damn right. And... Hodgie has this incredible, almost sixth sense for seafood that <laughs> is just extraordinary. And and over coffees over many years, have been saying that you know one of the things that uh, for me as a fish vlogger trying to explain to young chefs um, some of the background to the provenance and the history, and then of course the culinary usability of various seafoods that there was a big gap in the market. So we kind of set about trying to collate some of these thoughts, and then we were approached by by a publisher that said, look, you know, maybe this could be worth putting down. So that was fantastic. And, and as I said, Hodgie is an, an incredible, absolutely genius, sort of like an idiot savant with seafood. Um, <laughs> yes. but, but, but with that comes the fact that he doesn't really read or write. So we uh, had a bit of a problem there when uh, we were trying to write a book. Uh, so, um, just get a point at the diagrams. Yes, exactly. We brought in um, in Anthony Huckstep, who's a, who's a journal, food journal, who has a, you know, a hired tongue that he's the he's the word guy, right? Yeah, he's he's the word guy. And then yeah. Sarah Swan. So Swanee had had been involved in writing, I think, about ten of Neil Perry's cookbooks, and and has that sort of like technical expertise to take a, a really good dish and convert it into something that can be reproduced at home successfully, wow. um, which. Bizarrely, a lot of chefs can't do. Um, you know, they're fantastic in their own you know, kitchens, but they often it gets lost in translation when you're trying to get mum or give mum the skills to do that. So mm. um, between Swanee and Hux and Hodgie and myself, it, it obviously took quite a long time to pull that, that sort of you know, grab bag of uh, pirates together to, to actually get it down on paper. It sounds like you should be forming a band, Swissman, Huckstep, Swan and Hodges, or maybe a, a legal firm could be, uh, well, could be kind of nice. But may I, if you can, I could just carry on. There is a, a rather lovely uh, uh, f- uh, quotation from uh, the great man himself, Neil Perry, that says that this book... And uh, we'll do a proper review with with you when um, in in the future. But this is the Bible for seafood, and the only book you'll ever need on the topic. And I I sort of liken it to sort of a pescatorial cook's companion by uh, Stephanie Alexander. It is that good. I'll let that hang. I mean, look, that's a, that's a very humbling comparison, Cam. Thank you. Oh, um, it's, it's it's very sincere, though, John. But. I mean, the purpose of the exercise was to try and try and give the reader some back catalogue story to the different species. So some provenance and some history of where they're caught and how they're caught and what their mm. seasonality is. And, and, and a picture a, of each one, a picture of each fish, so you yep. know what you're dealing with, which I think is great because we all need that visual reference um, these days, don't we? Oh, look, absolutely. And, you know, often when we walk into a fish shop and there's a shiny display of, you know, beautifully prepared portions, we don't sort of relate those to exactly what the animal looks like in real life. So we've tried to capture that. And the beautiful photography of Ben Gearnley um, has, I think, done a pretty good job. And then, of course, there's, you know, the use of use of those species in the kitchen, um, some simple, you know, preparation, handling and storage notes. And then... uh, 
and then some of Hodgie's magnificent, magnificent dishes. Boom, and I'm looking forward to making myself a Lingburger very, very soon. But before we leave you, uh, I want to talk about, you were talking about pirates before, and that was a useful thing to just throw across because Melbourne will have pirates in the laneway. Yes. With eye patches we are, on, drinking we are really rum. looking forward to this. We're, we are so looking forward to this. I mean, we've been very lucky to be invited by the, the organisers of Melbourne Food and Wine to bring together a group of chefs and, in my opinion, even more importantly, a group of catchers and growers of some of the great Australian seafoods mm. to be in a laneway in the city for which, one which, night. Which laneway are we talking about anyway? Do you know? Uh, thanks, Cam. Uh, okay, uh, to be advised, it said it's of course. If you look at the uh, if you look at the website, it's the the House of Food and Wine Melbourne, and uh, we go. will we will get more well, information I mean, to you. Just go to the website all the, and look up. All those crazy laneways you have in Melbourne are the same to me. So you know, <laughs> yes, it's well, like our, it's it's a bit like our water views up here in Sydney, mate. You know, you sort of you, you tire of them easily. I know. Um, yes, well, you, well, maybe you could only dream of uh, cultural laneways like we have down here, the, you know. And and it'll be great right. to have you in there. Now, the cost is, um, um, it's a fair amount, about $195. But the great thing is that uh, uh, there will be sashimi like you wouldn't believe, three yeah, different look, types of tuna, I, th- I believe. Yeah, look, we're going to have like a whole host of things that you'd often only really find in the very best restaurants around the country or indeed in, in Japan or other export markets. So, mm. And we're going to have the catchers and growers there. So you can have a yarn with all of these folk that have actually done the hard yard to actually bring these amazing seafoods to the table. And they're going to give you, you know, firsthand their experiences of what they go through to actually, you know, sort of catch and grow these amazing seafoods. Plus we've got um, Brent Savage... Uh, ben Williamson and Joshy Nyland from uh, from various kitchens around the country that are going to be sort of pulling this together from a culinary standpoint. And yep. there are three really excellent um, exponents of, uh, of great seafood cooking. And uh, as well as having the... Uh, the it, it sort of turns... It's sort of like... It's like a time at this, the great fish market in Tokyo and then it turns into sort of like a, a Louisiana crab boil with a with a Queensland suntan. You got it. That's exactly right. So it's going to be, it's going to be roll up your sleeves and have a have a have bloody a cr- good time. Have a crab yeah. boil. Get the mallet out. Do we get to take home the yeah. mallets afterwards? You can take home. You can take home everything. Oh, right. the chefs and the fishermen. Yeah, yeah. preferably the fishermen. Yeah. Yeah. D- d- depending on what your pitch is. Um, yeah. So, so um, thank you for enduring the Phil Collins <laughs> intro. No, awesome. I'm, I'm so grateful. It's, uh, it was terrific. And I'll go and ask my auntie if I can borrow one of her albums. See if she's <laughs> see if she's got it to the back of the record player. Um, John, a pleasure as always to talk to you. And again, um, a, a very very sincere congratulations on the book that you've created um Thanks, should be on all bookshelves look forward to seeing you when you're down here yeah catch up soon cam always great to chat mate all right man see you later cheers bye massimo melee a very very warm and hearty greeting from the south to the north how are you mate <laughs> Bonjour, no bonjour, I'm very well, how are you? Uh, look, you're better for hearing your voice, and um, and I've got to say that I'm looking forward to meeting you next week at uh, the incredible Melbourne Tomato Festival that's going to be taking place, yeah. but but I guess I wanted to talk to you about, um, I was interested in that I was looking through all the people that are going to be uh, demonstrating on the day, and you're doing this pasta that um, 
that I don't think I've ever heard of before, and it's called Ferretti. What is Ferretti? Ferretti that's exactly. Ferretti. Well, you know, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad no one's ever heard of it because uh, hopefully people will come and see me. Yes. And fill up uh, <laughs> those seats because it's look. It's Ferretti is a pasta shape. It basically translates, and I, and I hope I'm not incorrect. Uh, my mother would be very upset if, I, if oh, I said this the wrong way. Don't worry, they'll tell you quickly if you are. They will, won't they? Yeah, the yeah, about they will. Italians. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have any problems. But Fedeci is knitting needles. Yes. Um, or, or using uh, needles to basically, or skewers, um, to roll a pasta. Now, the thing is, I go to lots and lots of food. I'm very lucky. But the thing is, when I come out on stage and they introduce me, they say, welcome to the to the stage, Massimo Mello. And, and I come out and I say, hey, how you going? They're like, oh, my God. He's a fake Italian. There's no way <laughs> that guy up there knows anything about Italian food. He sounds more Aussie than Crocodile Dundee. He's no wog. What's but going on? Yeah, he's no wog. He's a fake Italian. Yeah, what the hell? Fake Italian. Fake fake news. But, fake pasta. <laughs> but, but you know, like I, I we, we first we moved to Australia when I was six or seven years old, and I don't have lots and lots of memories, uh, uh, food memories in Italy. But the ones I do have where, you know, every July was my birthday, so every July we go to the beach, and going to the beach in Italy was was a big day. Lots of food and fake <laughs> pasta. You know, when the wogs go to the beach, they yes. take everything. Yes. You know, there's yeah. three car loads, one's just for the food, one's for the dessert, <laughs> and, and then we bring Nonna and everyone else along as well, just in case. you got the Tiramisu trailer. Yeah, the Tiramisu trailer. Well, actually... We, we take a fridge on a trailer as well, just in case we need it. Yeah. But the thing is, I, we grew up in in, in Naples um, in an area called um, Bushano, and we all lived in a little cortia. So, a, you know, a what? Like a little courtyard. Oh, cortia. And, si. Yeah, yep. and basically, you know, the nonnas would get there on the Sundays and have their big wooden boards, and they sit around a table and they'd make pasta. And, you know, people don't understand that pasta in the south is very different to pasta in the north. In the north, they can afford eggs. In the south, we have flour or similar and just water. Yeah. And it's a very different pasta shape. And, you know, they make things like orecchietti, um, casarecci, all made by hand. Um, yes. And there's a pasta that I remember they used to make, um, you know, in Ferretti, they basically used, they used to use umbrella wires, you know, like oh, yeah, got it. umbrellas. That's a good... They take the wires out because yeah. you need it very, very thin. Yeah, cause it's a good and, size, um, isn't it? I can imagine it. Yeah, it's a perfect size and so we I mean we use wooden skewers these days but for me it's about you know like I've lived in Australia now for 25 years and it's about trying to hold on to those traditions which is very very difficult sometimes you know we we kind of we get really busy in our lives and you know like I mean now I'm living back in Tasmania while I'm there you know for most of my week mm. so I get to see my mother a lot more and cooking but you know I've been away for a very long time and it's really hard to hold on to those traditions and a pasta like Ferretti, it's a very laborious exercise. Well, you want to have you, know, a, you like, want to you know, have a whole bunch of people, and I'm, I'm not going to be sexist about this, but just people together, and this gives them a great time to to gossip. I and exactly, talk. you know, and, and the fantastic thing I remember is that that all, all you know the mums and my aunties and and next door neighbours and cousins they all come over and make the pasta, mm. and then everyone would take it back to their respective homes and take their portion. Um, you know, their ration, you'd say, of the morning's yes. work. And then they go home and, and cook a beautiful lunch. And Sunday lunch was always, like, every day is fantastic. But Sunday lunch is the day where everyone just makes that little bit of extra effort, whether it's, you know, pasta fun, 
your main base pasta with the local. So, um, look, it's one of those dishes, and, I, and not many people have seen. You know, I, I did a cooking class yesterday here in uh, in Sydney for another food festival, and and I was great that actually people were interested because they're like, I would never even have thought of. You know, sticking some dough on a wooden skewer and rolling it to my, my hand. And rolling it up. Now, you know, and creating. Tell me, and I know that part of this will be, look, come to the Tomato Festival, give the details in a sec, because we'd love to see as many people as possible there at uh, the All Nations Park in Northcote. But um, the shape that you start off with to roll around the knitting needle or the umbrella wire or the saute stick or whatever you've got to do it, is it just sort of like a long... It have to be like a long thread no, of pasta? No, it's actually not. No. It's actually not. It's actually... Oh, he said waving his finger at of, me. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's the size of a gnocchetti. Uh, like, it's very small. And then basically, it kind of... As you roll between the palms of your hand, it actually extends oh. through the length of the skewer. And, oh, so you, you know, you've got to be really careful because too much pressure... Will mean that it will stick to the skewer, and then trust me, it is a nightmare yeah, right. to, to get off. But, um, but we use we use a pasta. We use a very simple pasta dough that mm. anyone can make, and it's very um, it, it's user friendly. It's it's half it's two fifty grams of semolina. It's half and half semolina, half half and semolina, plain flour, a, a hard flour, water. like a, d- a double O type flour, or yeah, doctor dead or dead, yeah, that's it, double O flour. So sorry, half um, half, yep. So 250 each of the flowers and about 200 to 220 mils of water. Yeah. We make a dough. And it's, 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 quite a, it's quite a firm dough because I think yeah. you know, once, once it dries out, I think that's how you get that really beautiful texture. Um, you know, egg, egg-based pasta doughs are usually quite soft and luxurious. And as I said, that's from the north with Dedo Gould and all those and kind of things. Those egg-laden northerners. Huh? Over the yeah, yeah, they can afford the eggs. Yeah. They can afford the polentone. Yeah, we use we use water and flour, but we like the texture. There's a bite to it. Yes. So you, you know, I mean, usually when you cook fresh pasta, it's not it's never al dente. It's cooked, you know, it's cooked through. But using the semolina flour gives it a beautiful texture, and you get that little bit of bite, which is great. Gives it a bit of hardness. Now you are going to be doing this. You've decided to team these with prawns, tomato, garlic, and basil. Oh my God. Uh, the holy quattro, but um, but I would imagine because you've gone to the trouble of making these things and they're hollow in the middle, it's going to be a little bit loose and a little bit um, liquidy, so that the the tomato liquid can go in amongst the pasta. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. like a bucatini. Like a bu- like a bugatini. B- whoops! Like there you bugatini. go. See, I I I, always, I have to talk to an Italian. He always has to. Someone's got to correct me on my pronunciation. All right. Well, look. Well, it's very rare. It's very rare that I'm the one correcting. So I'll take it. Hey, go go with it. And you, and you can even wave your finger at me when we when we meet on uh, on Sunday. But hey, look. Can I just? This is just a question without notice. Okay. Let's say that we've got together with some people and we've made a pasta dough. I don't know, maybe with eggs, maybe not. But we've got the pasta. We've got the pasta maker, and I've put it through the rollers and I've done it to the second last stage, so it's pretty nice and thin. I've just stuck it through the fettuccine cutter. What would you cook with those? What would you do with the, that fettuccine that I've just made? Oh, free kick! You're putting them on the spot. Yeah, free kick. Just, just whatever comes to you. Where are you going? I'm going to cook a talk. So basically, I would do olive oil, garlic, some anchovies, and a little bit of dried chili. Olive oil. Sauteed off. Yeah. And then... Yeah. So it's basically aglio with a bit of, bit, of, bit of chili in there. Unreal. 
Yeah. Really simple pasta dish. Uh, I actually cooked it a few weeks ago at home, and I mean, if you if you're feeling a bit, you know, like you want to spoil yourself, you put a bit of parmigiano on top. But that's a great dish. Yeah. Um, and if you're lucky enough to have fresh walnuts, toast some walnuts in there. Walnuts. Like a really delicious white sauce. Yeah. Funny if it doesn't have to always be tomato and no, no. you know mozzarella like everyone thinks it is. Yeah, exactly. And um, and the great thing about the alla olio, and most of you people would know this, of course, because you listen to this show, but the great thing is this emulsification of a little bit of the pasta water that goes in there to make it with the oil and the garlic and makes everything magnifico, huh? Yeah, and you can go two ways with that as well. You cannot add too much pasta water and you make it quite dry. Yes. I mean, if you've got a really beautiful textured pasta, mm. um, not everything has to always be, you know, kind of, um, right, you know, adding... Well, you know, I mean, the pasta water is a great little addition um, to the sauce, but um, pasta is so different. And it's cooked so many different ways with so many different sauces, and I don't think you can ever know everything there is to know it's about like, pasta. It's like uh, as infinite as the grain of sands on a beach. Yeah. yeah the other funny thing is the Italians are good at this. They'll, if they don't, if they make a shape and it's quite interesting and... You know, they're, they're trying to make cousin Eche, but they made something else. They'll just make up a name and they'll go with it, and you will believe it because they just—they are the best. At, you, know, you know, I was going to say swear words, but they are bullshit the best artists. Before, you know? You're going to say bullshit, bullshit artists, artists, huh? huh? The Italians, the Italians, the Italians live by that. You know, it's fake it till they make it. Yeah, that's the Italian motto. <laughs> but um, no, there's so many different shapes, and I'm, I'm learning them all the time. You yeah. know, so, so um, it's endless. Unreal. Now, what time are you... Uh, do you know what time you're on? I think you're... Some, it, it, around 1:30. the afternoon. One thirty. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be there to uh, to help you and uh, mispronunciate things so you can shake your finger at me at the All Nations <laughs> Park for the Melbourne Tomato Festival. Uh, tickets, we should mention, adults, 25 bucks. If you're a kid between 5 and 15, 10 bucks. Family... Uh, two kids, two adults, 65. It'll be a ripper. Look forward to meeting you, Marcia. Yeah. And look, I'm really excited because for me, I mean, that whole, you know, National Wog Day. Yeah, Wog Day. It's, yeah. It's one of those traditions. It's one of those traditions that it's really important that we kind of, it's such a great day. You know, you get to eat, you make sauce. You learn. Everyone gets yelled at. Yeah. You know, the kids <laughs> run around. You know. Yes. Um, what are you doing? Is, you know what I hate about you know what I hate about National Wog Day. What the only job I get to do is yeah. stick the basil in the sauce and clean up. <laughs> That's all I get. That I it? get the worst job after all these years. Oh What's my god! I, I said after all these years, you're still at, at that part of the queue. Years, yeah. Oh my god! I still have to clean up. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well, look, it is. It's going to be a celebration of what I call um, here in Melbourne the Passata Triangle. That marvelous area in the north, um, and uh, and we'll be there. So look forward to seeing you at Melbourne Tomato Festival, Massimo. Hey, I can't wait to meet you. It's going to be fun. Likewise, see you oh. soon, guys. All right, mate. Thank you Ciao. very much. Bye bye. Ciao. Sounds like a bit of fun, doesn't it? Should be good. And we're having fun too. We've got about 12 minutes left in the hour before the fabulous Tracy Hutchison's taking over. Yes. Can't wait for that. But in the meantime, we are delighted to be bathed in the glow of the knowledge of spices. Adrian from the Hidden Seek, a very, very good afternoon to you. Thank you for coming in. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm really happy to be back in, actually. Adrian MacGyver, we call you. But uh, <laughs> Long story. Uh, long story. Not going to go there. Your mastermind subject uh, for this afternoon 
is about a spice that uh, a lot of us don't really, really think of originating in the eastern Mediterranean. It's cumin. It didn't originate in India. Um, no. It's, no! It's, I believe the Indians use about 65% of the total world supply. They love it. And they grow about 90% of it. Yeah. Or is it 70? I might be wrong there. No, mm. they grow 70% and use 90% of their own. So, yeah. Mm. Anyway, um, but yeah, it originates around sort of the earliest we've seen back is maybe Syria. They've sort of dug up a place in uh, Tel Eddur. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Tel that correctly. Tel So that goes back to Good this. place to visit. <laughs> Send me a postcard when you get there. Yeah. The, the Romans were hot for it too, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, they used to use it as a table condiment. There's evidence of them finding like vessels that were only used for common, and they've also found mixes of coriander leaf and mint. So and and they talk also about this this mixture of um, grinding it down and and like spreading it on bread, which sounds kind of interesting. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I didn't I've know heard about, about that. Okay, yeah. let me, let no, me offer this. I'll defer in, you on that. In the same way that you can use za'atar, 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 yeah, and uh, make a mixture of that with olive oil and spread it on um, flatbread and then sort of toast oh, that up. Like an oily, pasty... Oily, pasty thing. That um, sounds kind of nice. You can, you can do that with cumin. And I, I think the Romans also, because they were hot for garum, which was their version of fish sauce, um, they used to mix it with that too, hmm. apparently. Apparently yeah. so. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Learning something new there, that's good. Oh, it's, 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 it's a conversation, <laughs> yeah, Adrian, yeah, you know. But um, tell us uh, what else. But the thing is that it it was popular in Europe, as far as I can see, during the Middle Ages. And then for some reason they went, they got the finger out. They went, no, nah, no more, no cumin. It's not doesn't really appear in the repertoire of, of Europe's dishes, does it? No, not not at all, really. I mean, you see a lot of it in Spain, and obviously you've got the North African influence, which I guess lingered a lot longer in Spain, and being a big trade route, they mm. were a bit more open. But yeah, if you if you ask Italians about it, they're like, oh, we never use it. What? What are you talking about? Yeah. You and might be able to buy it there, but you can't really find it in dishes. And it's not going to be in something in, from, from Nonna's repertoire. But yeah, the Portuguese used it, and then of course leapt across the Atlantic with their, you know, raping and pillaging ways and opening up uh, the new continent. Mm, yeah, whether it's the... That's a pejorative. They, the, the exploration <laughs> took place and they brought cumin with them. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, so that's hugely popular, obviously, in Mexican cuisine, um, mm. where it's usually used raw as opposed to most people know it as being used toasted. Um, got into a big discussion with Lucy about this earlier, about when to roast, the, when not to roast. The other part of the hidden soup. Hi, Lucy, for <laughs> on the radio. Yes. Yeah, she's managed to wrestle the radio into working order. Then <laughs> God bless. <laughs> yeah, so as far as the toast or don't toast argument um, depends on the application not something I'm going to get into. Well, okay, but let's let, let's. Just, I don't want to go there because you got to go. You got to go back to the car, don't you? Where, where Lucy's waiting for you. But I will say because I don't have to go back to the car is that um, cumin can have sort of a bit of a a raucous flavour, and by by toasting it down, you bring out more of a nutty sort of a, a, a thing and and temper that raucousness, shall we well, say? Yeah, you've got a few things going on. It's got a very high protein content, so you get the Maillard reaction when you toast it on a dry pan. Okay, yeah. Um, you lose the volatiles because they have low boiling points and they just disappear into the air, so you get more mm. of the bitter, solid kind of woody notes, and you also get a caramelly flavour from the, the protein and the sugars mixing together and yeah. burning. We, yeah. Have we got a molly? 
molecule there? What, what, you uh, had it on yep. there. It's the cumin of... Got loads of them, cuminal. The main star here is cuminaldehyde. Or, I, I say cumin, some say cumin. Yeah, yeah. I like to say cumin, whatever. Tomato, tomatoes. The yeah. root of the word goes back so far that we don't have any recordings of how it sounds. Yeah. I'll leave it at that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, very imaginatively Cuminaldehyde. Cuminaldehyde? Yeah. I've had to look at it a few times when I saw that word. Cuminaldehyde. That's the, that's the molecule, anyway, that gives it that aroma. And the taste. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the main content of its essential oil, at least the main one we're speaking of. There's also terpenes, which, you know... Sort yes. Of, and pinines, which, you know, the piney kind of... Uh, the pleasant chemical smells. Yes, of pines, yeah. Yeah. Um, terpenes can get a bit nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Look they hold nice. a good place in my heart because I do a bit of oil painting, but... Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> but it's not good for you. No. <laughs> it's and a very important flavour, but yeah. Mm, and, um, yeah, and that's... That's sort of it. It, it is. It, it's kind of weird. It's um. It's a spice that that's travelled around the world, but only it's only seen parts of the world. And uh, as we say, the, the Mexicans love it. We've seen it in Tex-Mex cuisine, North African cuisine, and things like that. And I'd like to say that for me personally, one of the most successful ways I've ever seen cumin used, and I still remember it, was this a chicken soup. With with cumin in it and and tortillas toasted and 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 put on top and there was and bits of coriander and and just a touch of chili and bloody hell it was delicious I, I still remember this was something that was cooked for me maybe even more than a decade ago but I still remember the flavour and if you can get that balance right with and the cumin and the chicken mm. and stuff have you got, do you remember any dishes where you just went this is good cumin. Ah <laughs> oh, well, honestly, the stuff we get, anything we cook with it, the only problem is using too much can be a problem. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, we get ours from Morocco, from uh, in a place called the Atlas Mountains. Um, oh, the Atlas Mountains. Oh, it was kind of nice. It was featured mm. on uh, an Ottolenghi show a while ago, and I'm looking at the screen, going, "That looks very familiar." There, um, it's picked while it's still green. Yes, it's not really well known, but it's a fruit instead of this. It's not actually the seed. It's a seed-like fruit. Yes. Um, yeah, because they're little titchy little plants. Um, they sort of related um, slightly to parsley, the umbophelia yep. or whatever that genus is. Yeah, Lucy would be able to pronounce yeah, yeah. that. Um, the umbophelius. Yeah, people. carrots, carrots, yeah. parsley, hemlock, all yeah, of that all kind those of stuff. Wispy leaves that come up. Comf- uh, not comfrey. Um, uh, stop. Just move on because it's not. Yeah, the coming. pointy, pointy, outy, shrubbery. Yeah. That 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 sort of what, central core uh, sort of stuff. And um, and as you say, it's one of those things that you've got to be careful. You have a dab handy. It's like cardamom. Ooh. Oh my god, cardamom! <laughs> it's like you can get away with using too much cumin, but I would no, not. I and you know what? I've been cooking for a couple footy seasons now, and I every time I use cardamom, I always use too much because <laughs> I can't believe it. it's like no, no, it needs more than this. And I go, oh god, I've screwed it up again. Yeah, I I just. I'm just like, hey, Lucy, come over here. Do you want to add some? <laughs> oh, you can, you can, you can be the person that I'll does it. I'll grind it up. I'm not putting it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds good. Now, um, can first of all, can you guys have a, a variety that's available? 
The hidden souk. I think we need to sing your praises and yes, sing. Yes, if you've um, taken the time to come in, we should give you a little bit of a free kick and say, how how on earth would we get some of that stuff off you guys? Well, right, as our name implies, we're a bit hidden. We're a bit obscure. Bit but hidden. if you do want to buy direct from us, we're actually at Tomato Festival next week. Uh, oh, you're coming too? That's fight. right. Of course. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, as, as we just said, the Italians don't really cook with cumin very much, but we have... We'll be selling that. We'll be selling some other spices as well, mm. all things that we import. But the main line of our business we've just sort of fallen into is actually supplying for the gin industry. Isn't that amazing? Yep, because we're all about the essential oils, the volatiles. And, and, and dare I, I say it, distillers would be looking for the very best. They wouldn't be going to the supermarket shelves and buying overpriced, somewhat out-of-date things in jars, perhaps? If I could just... Mm, yeah, I think the amounts, that. depending on Minister. the size of the batch, you'd probably want to get larger amounts and yeah. more guaranteed consistency of supply and, and also sort of, of aroma, aromas. And, and what sort of things have you been selling to the distillers? Oh, I'm just trying to wonder if you divulging gin's any... Because gin's is such a, a symphony. No, you don't have to say the proportions or who you're supplying to. Oh, That's okay, not, we'll be cool. But even and the ingredients a of silence has just come <laughs> down. Well, suffice to say, if you read the side of a bottle of Bombay Sapphire, you'll see yeah, you'll quite see a lot them. of the things. And I'll say the grains of paradise because they're beautiful. And what the hell is Oros Root? Oris root? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think they use it as a fixative. I may be wrong on that. I'm not and a Is it named after some Egyptian god? Uh, it's, Iris. I, it's Iris Florentina, but yeah. Iris Florentina. Iris Florentina, yeah. Um, she was an opera singer, wasn't she? Quite possibly. I have Iris Florentina. Want to hear a song? Iris so sounds like silly. somebody's... Yeah, anyway. I'm being flippant. I beg your pardon. No, so tell us more about what you know about uh, the botanicals that you, you're supplying to the... The uh, the Obviously, it's juniper. So let's. Uh, we've got about a couple of minutes, but well, actually, juniper we're just getting into because they use a lot of juniper, and we don't deal in. It's huge the backbone amounts. of it's dry the backbone. Gin. Hello, and it's again the with spine with coriander, finding a good source of that. Everyone's got their own little part. So mm. coriander, we're doing, we're dabbling, but mainly the lesser known, so the cubeb peppers, the grains of paradise, and basically anything people ask. Um, if you ever saw Shawshank Redemption, Lucy is very much like Morgan Freeman's character. She can, <laughs> she can get you anything. Oh, oh great analogy. I, love, I never thought of, of, uh, of Lucy as being part of that, but that's good. That works. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the great thing about, um, using spices is, uh, is the fact, and especially in a gin, is that, Gin is a symphony of spices, and it's the only, um, one of the few that I can think of um, spirits that has that mixture of spices within it to, as an expression. Yeah, it's incredible, the variety. Even within London Dry, where the mix is so locked down, mm. you can still get an, a huge variety of, of different things. People are still riffing on such an old theme, and everyone's got their own thing. It's, it's fascinating. and. Just the source of the alcohol, the, you know, the distilling technique, where it goes, vapours and steeping and all that kind of stuff. It, it's, it's fascinating. I, it's, I wish I knew more. <laughs> it's science and alcohymy mixed together, isn't it? Well, it's literally yeah. alchemy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was invented by the alchemists, of the Arabs, way back in the day. So, yeah. Mm. Maybe not the gin, but the distillation technique. There we go. How do we find your website? Um, it's www.hiddensook.com.au. That's two Ds, ladies and gentlemen. Um, possibly S- working. Um, possibly <laughs> working. 
Otherwise, we're on all of the socials, yeah. uh, except Snapchat. That's a bit weird. And, <laughs> and come along to uh, the Melbourne Tomato Festival that's going to be happening next Sunday uh, at All Nations Park in Northcote. Look it up um, if you would. Uh, Tracy Hutchinson's coming on next, and um, we're looking forward to hearing about mm. the life and times of Lee Bowery, uh, a man who made it from sunshine to the rest of the world and left his mark on the world. Uh, Adrian, a pleasure to see you. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Matt Steadman. Cameron Smith. It's been an absolute delight and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, but stick around because Sunday lunch is on. It's awesome and Mm. you'd be crazy to miss it as well as all the rest of the wonderful shows that happen during the afternoon here on Sundays. Over to you, Tracy. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.